This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights. With your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rutgers Rant, the no moral victories edition of the Rutgers Rant, a 31-16 loss to Ohio State. We will not celebrate losing on this podcast, even if it was a good loss. Let's be honest. I mean, I think most people would have signed for a close game in the fourth quarter when we were asking people people had asked us going in what would be a what would be a progress other than winning the game. It, it was that. It was that game. Uh, and in some ways, I don't know, I thought that they Rutgers did some things I wasn't expecting Rutgers to do. Ran the ball well, really great defensively, and we're back to the same situation. If not for one catastrophic mistake, this might have been a different game. You fellas have had 48 hours to think about it now. I mean, what, what strikes you the most about this one? There are no asterisks next to the L's, Steve. They all count the same. So this game played out almost exactly like how we had predicted it on Friday in the sense that it'll be a close game. Rutgers will be in it in the fourth quarter. I got to admit that when they're driving the ball up three points to start the second half, they're in the red zone. I thought to myself, yeah, those those goalposts are going into Raritan. They're going to win this game because <laughs> they looked like they were going to – Ohio State couldn't stop them. They, I know they had struggled in the red zone to end the first half. I was convinced they were going to score that touchdown, go up two scores – and if you do that, Ohio State is shaking, man. They they would really start wobbling there. They had struggled to move the ball in the first half outside of their scoring drive. Mm-hmm. I think that – I know we say a lot, and it's happened in the three losses this season. The pick six completely changes the game, completely moves the momentum. And while Rutgers did cut it to a score in the fourth quarter and they did have their chances, that really felt like it was the moment that – everything kind of fell apart. I, I will say this, though, Pat, Pat, that I was most impressed with the way they bounced back after that pick six. I mean, we are a stop away. We were like a third and 11 stop away from Rutgers getting the ball back with a chance to go up in that game. The resilience was definitely something to be excited about, no question. 
But for me, the biggest takeaway was that Rutgers didn't lose its identity playing against one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Rutgers ran the ball really well. The defense was lights out like it's been all season long. So I thought to me, I was worried that this was going to be a Kyle Manungai 20 yard game. It was the complete opposite, obviously. And Rutgers had great success running the ball. And like, what else can you say about the way Kyle Manunga is playing and the way the offensive line, which was such a concern coming into the season, stacked up against that physical front seven of Ohio State that's just been lauded as one of the best in the country and you know, best in the Big Ten in a long year in a while. So my biggest takeaway was exactly what you said, Steve. I know there are no moral victories, but you can push this one forward and say, all right, three games left, everything's still on the table for this team. Yeah, I, I was stunned that they ran the ball as well as they did. And even if you take out just the brilliant, the, the fumble ruski, the Rutgers ruski, as Chris Carlin dubbed it, even if you take that out, that 45-yard game, which watching the replay, I didn't see it at the time, but watching the replay, they should have scored on. If you take that out of the equation, it's still a five-yard carry, uh, you know, a, a carry average, which is just amazing to me. I mean, Pat Flaherty should whatever his contract is, they should just double it tomorrow. I mean, the fact that they're able to do that again against, and this is, a, they've never done that against a team like Ohio State. Never. That's to me the most impressive thing and the most encouraging thing. Absolutely. And it's not like Pat Flaherty is working with some five-star linemen. They just got out. Like they have a forward walk on at left tackle. They have a kid whose knee was blown out so bad. They thought he'd never play football again at right tackle. They have a kid who was a perennial backup at center and left and left guard, like what he's done to improve these players and make them push Ohio state around for significant stretches of this game is really impressive. Now that is where Rutgers closed the gap. They can run the ball in Ohio state. They can defend Ohio state. They looked like they belonged on the field with Ohio state where they could not close the gap with Johnny Langan, you know, called the details, the big moments, one, they could not take advantage of the opportunities that were presented to them when Ohio State slipped up, and they could not score in the red zone. The And what Ohio State did was the opposite. When Ohio State gets an interception, they run it back for six. Rutgers gets an interception, they score a field goal in the red zone. When Rutgers messes up on a punt, Ohio State marches down the field and six plays scores a touchdown. When Ohio State messes up a punt, Rutgers kicks a field goal. When they have a big play, Trayvon Henderson, that play you mentioned, it's a third and nine. He gets the ball in the flat. He has to beat a guy, Dario Jabomi, a kid who's played four games this year. He's played six snaps at six snaps at linebacker, playing in the place of Tyron Powell because Mohamed Ture moved up to the defensive line to rush the passer. He can't catch up to Trayvon Henderson. He takes a bad angle. No linebacker in America is going to catch up to Trayvon Henderson. That's not the kid's fault. It was a tough spot to be in. But the point is that once they convert that first down, they score a touchdown. Rutgers, the fumble ruski you mentioned, they should have scored there. If Isaiah Washington gets a block, if Ian Strong gets his block, there's a crease on down the sideline for Kyle Manungai to score. Instead, they have a field goal. Rutgers had six trips to the red zone, three field goals, one touchdown, two turnovers. Ohio State had four trips to the red zone, four touchdowns. That's yeah. the difference in the game right there. <laughs> that is that, Those are the details. Those are the small margin. That's why a game where Rutgers looked like it belonged on the field with Ohio State, put a scare into Ohio State, and they lost by 19. All right, let's let's address what everyone's talking about. And, you know, I ask for questions each week for this podcast from our tech subscribers and, and to see what they're talking about. And I think all 
37 questions were quarterback related. Gavin Wimsett did not have a good enough game in this one. There's really no sugarcoating that. You know, we're in the same boat that we've been where we describe it like, well, did you see the throw he made to Jaquay Jackson? Did you see like he'll make three or four throws a game where you're like, there's no one else in this roster, maybe in this program in a long time who can make those throws. But then you just see things that are just, uh, you know, still making the same overthrows. And, and, you know, of course, you know, the one where Christian Dremble's wide open for what would have been a touchdown is the obvious one. He just floats that ball five yards past Dremel, where if he throws, if he throws it on a, a clothesline, that's a touchdown. You know, like Dremel's going to catch that and score. The ones I think about though, are just simple plays, you know, Johnny Langan running out in, in the flat waiting to catch a, a pass that would have gone for five yards. And it's, it's, it's five yards over his head, you know, and they get in the end zone. And what happened, I think in that game, it's funny, like, you, you know, all those field goals, if they had been able to run the ball near the goal line, they might've scored one of them, but they just, they can't throw it into the end zone. Like the, the, the fade patterns were through the back of the end zone. Yeah. The passes that, you know, they just don't have the touch there when it's close in. It's, it's, just, it's just become a problem. I don't know what the answer is but it's become a problem. It's hard to look at that too and and come up with an answer overnight. Like you're not going to change accuracy issues overnight and and just fig- and just say Gavin Wimsey go figure it out against the best defense in the country, right? I I've always thought that like his whole mindset is I don't want to make a mistake. And now in these 3 games, he's made killer mistakes that have point blank killed the team and and crushed any hope of wins. But you're right. It's the easiest ones that that cost that they don't cost them the most, but the easiest ones make you just slap your head and go, what the what the heck? You know, Uh, you mentioned the Dremel, the overthrow to Dremel. That would have been a touchdown. The Johnny Langan one and, and just the inefficiency in the red zone really boils down to this. They can't throw a fade. They can't find someone cutting across the back of the end zone. And that's that's where that's what broke down this team. And here's the other part of it. We know Gavin has seven rushing touchdowns, can use his legs really well. What happened to that in the red zone? Uh, we saw that against Indiana. They were able to capitalize with his legs, but none of that really uh, in this game against Ohio State when it when it mattered in the red zone. So I thought they missed an opportunity to run the ball uh, with the quarterback in the red zone, especially when, when they couldn't find an open receiver. So something uh, <laughs> I want to play like both sides of it. Yeah. And and say that like, okay, he's only a sophomore and he's still learning and all this stuff. But when it keeps happening and the numbers are what they are, they they're blatantly obviously pointing to huge accuracy issues. And and that's just something you can't really fix. And even they've tried by, by simplifying the offense. So I don't know how much more simple they can make it for him. Yeah. Brian, you dove you dove into those numbers for the film review. I, I want to be as kind as possible, so I will Put some caveats here. Gavin is the best running quarterback Rutgers has had in a long time, maybe ever. Ever, ever. There's no, there's no, yeah. Yes. And that's an element of a game that matters. And I think he deserves credit for that. Uh, he had some, he got their first, first down of the game with a run. He had a nice 17 yard gain to set up a red zone opportunity. Uh, they did try a little bit in the red zone with him that didn't really work out. But to Pat's point, maybe when you're closer, maybe when you're two yards out just before halftime, I know it's a tough spot to go for a run because you don't have timeouts. Anyway, and also he does not have a pass catching threat at tight end. Less Johnny Langan's heart. He blocks hard. He had a couple of nice catches, set them up for in the red zone once. They don't have a pass catching threat at tight end. Wide receiver, already thin, lost the guy in Chris Long for the year, hasn't really played. 
And uh, Christian Dremel, awesome season. Awesome game. I thought he was tremendous. Jaquay Jackson had maybe his best game as a Scarlet Knight. But when you only have two really guys you can trust, it's hard. All that being said, all that being said, the numbers are what they are. Gavin Wimsett is on pace to be the least accurate quarterback in FBS football for a second straight year. He's sub 50%. His completion percentage is one and a half point percentage points behind the next least accurate quarterback. His adjusted completion percentage, which accounts for uh, drops, it accounts for throwaways, is five percentage points lower than the next closest wow. guy. And these are these aren't just every quarterback. These are quarterbacks with at least 200 dropbacks. Like the numbers are what they are. And the first seven throws of the game are just, I mean, tough to watch. Like, like simple. They go three and out on the first three drives. Gavin misses some really simple throws in, in those in those drives. And I think it's holding them back. I mean, look, people will say they have six wins. They're in a bowl game. They're doing probably as well as anybody realistically could have hoped them to do, which is mm-hmm. all fair points. But they haven't beat anybody with a, with a winning record. And you can't. I think part of that is because you don't have a quarterback who can complete the simple gimmies. He called that throw to Christian Dremel, which in fairness to him, he had some pressure in his face. But the one he missed that would have been a touchdown, he called that himself a gimme. And he admitted mm-hmm. to his credit that he's got to be better. I think that's obvious. I don't know what the solution is either, but I think it's it's pretty clear that it's holding them back and they got to figure something out. All right. With all that said, you know, and I, and I wrote about this for 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 Sunday morning, I do think they got just a golden opportunity here. I really do. And I, and I, it, you know, there's three games left. I get it. One of them is Penn state, Penn state just destroyed Maryland. Uh, Penn state's very good. Penn state is the other side of Ohio state. They've, they've just been as dominant in this series, but you got Iowa on the road at Iowa. You've got Maryland, which is reeling and a tailspin Maryland. It just feels like it. And I, I, I took some heat on Twitter. I took some emails like, Oh, you're, you're moving the, you're moving the goalposts. Yeah. I'm, I'm moving them a little bit. It just feels like six and six now is the floor. If this team goes six and six, you're like, ah, all right. It, it, I don't know. It, it met. It, it certainly exceeded the preseason expectations. But once you watched it, did it meet your expectations when you saw it, this defense? When you saw this ability to run the run the ball, was it really a six and six team? I, I think winning one or two of these games here to end this season just completely changes how you view this year. I think you look at it now, you're like, Hey, if this team goes eight and four, it's one of the, it's one of the better seasons in, in the 21st century for Rutgers football. Certainly, you know, if they go seven and five, all right, well, you're definitely way, you're definitely had a schedule. You're going to a better bowl. You feel good about it. You know, all right, we, Hey, look, who to sign and blood for seven and five. Certainly, you know, um, it's sitting there for them. Right. I mean, when you look at what what's left, this is a great opportunity. It is a great opportunity. And and when you have that identity that I keep talking about, right, like it just stacks up. And that's the most encouraging thing for me about this team this season is that when they brought in Kirk Shiraka, you you kind of knew right away that exactly what they were going to be if you just watched Minnesota at all. And they've stuck to that. And it's what what was encouraging for me against Ohio State is that they were able to not lose that identity and and still like just when you match up against a good team and you can play the way that you want to play, that's a sign of a good team to me. And that's what I thought Rutgers proved against Ohio State. And that's what it's going to prove against Iowa, right? Like you got to do it again. You got to be out. You got to go out there and, and run the ball again. You got to have Gavin play a little bit better of a game and you got to just hope that 
the defense just does its job against an Iowa offense that is just absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely terrible at this point in the season. So, yeah, I, I'm, I know we got the picks pod later in the week, but I'm just going to say it right now that Rutgers beats Iowa and, and Maryland wow. is, is just in a tailspin too. Like you said, so yeah, I think, yeah. uh, I think getting, getting to eight wins is, is now like realistic, right. which is, and, which is the key word. And it doesn't, Brian, I guess it, it, to, to clarify what I was saying, it doesn't change. Like, no matter what happens here, you're going to feel good. The program's heading in the right direction. You've seen it, the results wise, you're going to feel good going into 2024. Right. It's just about the level of, of what, what we're talking about. Right. Yes. As we've said, this season has been a resounding success because they accomplished the goal that I don't think any of us. I think Pat was the only one that had them at bowl eligible before the season. I think very few people felt that way. So it's a resounding success. But to your point, it's fine to move the goalposts when you have actual data to work with. Like we were just kind of guessing in the preseason because that's what you do. But after you see Rutgers win six of its first eight games and play the way it has and beat teams that it, it, it you know that it should quote unquote right that changes things that things that shows that Rutgers is ahead of schedule and I do think that to your point if you don't win one of these last three games it is a mild disappointment because this team is good enough to go seven and five or good enough to go eight and four even I think expecting them to beat Penn State is a bridge too far I think it's certainly realistic but I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not going to drag them for not beating a top 15 team of on course. the road. Right. right now, Iowa is beatable. They show that against Minnesota. They've showed that in every game this season because they can't score the ball. This game opened with an over under of 28 and a half, the lowest literally in the history of college football since it's been tracked. <laughs> it's going to be disgusting, disgusting to watch. But what that means is that there's an opportunity there because the margin is so low. If you score 14 points, you're probably going to beat Iowa. Right, like it, yeah. it, it, that 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 to me is the only thing that gives me hope that Rutgers could beat Iowa. That you don't have to score that much, though it's going to be hard to do so against that defense. I would say Maryland is the more intriguing game because they might not be bowl eligible by that game if they keep going down the slide. They have five wins, mm-hmm. right? And if you're going into that game, we thought that Rutgers would enter that game needing a win to make a bowl game. Maybe Maryland is the one that's going to be playing desperation. It's true. Mode. Well, they, got, well, they got Nebraska and they've got who they got. I looked this up. I forget. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, they could they could be the one needing that game. It's a good point. Right. Like, and look, I, I mean, we're, we're we assume that Maryland would be the juggernaut of the Big Ten East after their strong start. They've really been struggling. Um, but yes, between Maryland and Iowa, it feels like Rutgers really should win at least one of those games and be competitive against Penn State. Um, again, if they lose all three, is it a disappointment? Yes. Does it mean the season wasn't a success? No. Um, but I, I do think that you'd feel a little bit let down that you couldn't cash in with the house money that you were given after making a bowl game in eight games. All right, quickly dive into true or false. Got some topics, game related and otherwise. Sorry. First one, true or false. The refs were wrong. That was targeting against Ohio State on the pick six. Pat, what do you think? Yeah, man. Great question. Great way to start this off. In the moment, I thought it was true. Um, but after listening to Gene Serator, watching the play a couple of times, I can see the argument that he was making that it was like more shoulder than helmet. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, it was the correct call. No targeting. False. Okay. Brian? I agree with Pat. It looked like he was backing up even 
It didn't look like he was making forcible contact. When I dove into him, honestly, like I know, I understand why people think it's targeting. I think it's a close call, which is what I told Greg Schiano when he asked me for my opinion in the press conference. I will say false. I think it was a good no call. Yeah, I don't think we want that to be targeting. That's the other part of it. If that's targeting, football's gonna suck. So I'm gonna go false. I'm gonna go false. So many of these. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Your head. It's like, what? Well, what is targeting? But at least the Tyree Powell play. You're like, all right. Up. It's the definition. When you read the definition of the rule, you see what Tyree Powell did, and you're like, all right, that's targeting. But I mean, this one is like, hey, that's targeting. And there's just gonna be a lot of yellow flags and disqualifications. All right, true or false? Greg Shanna should have gone for touchdowns and not field goals, Pat. I thought his in-game decisions were actually really good in this game. It, it was just unfortunate that Rutgers couldn't convert in, at, at all in the red zone. Yeah. But I thought he did a good job. So to answer your question, false. Brian? I thought the one just before halftime was a good call. You have no timeouts, five seconds left, two yards out. Tough ask to score there. I thought the one that uh, Dremel got stopped on third down, and they were, I believe, at the three. That's the second red zone field goal. I thought they should have gone for it there personally. Uh, and the first one, 50-50, I can understand going for a field goal, wanting to get points. Though, yeah. when you play Ohio State, when you have a chance, when you're in the red zone, I, I just you don't beat these teams with field goals. But I understand, other than the second one, I can understand why he decided to not go for it. So yeah, uh, this is this I'm going to say false as well. But this is the kind of thing I always second guess. I did not at the time. The only problem I had is it just it's again it's like they should have spiked the ball, but then you're asking for a lot. And on the last one, when Langan gets to the one or two yard line, if they spike the ball there, they save the timeout. They could have run the ball there. They might might have been different. I don't know. In in the heat of the moment, Greg Shannon sees 12 seconds on the clock or whatever it was. He's got a. Yeah, I, I get it. It's it's a difficult situation, and I understand people who think they should have gone for it, but. At the same time, I just I, I was not first guessing it. I'm not going to second guess it. So uh, that's where I stand on that one. All right, true or false? Ohio State will be in the playoff. We've seen the Buckeyes up close and personal. Pat, that's assuming that the Big Ten is not going to get two teams. Uh, I, I guess. No, it's not assuming it. I was not. Imp- I was way more impressed with Michigan than Ohio State. I will say that. Well, of course you were. I mean, who wouldn't be impressed if you had all the plays ahead of time? Ah, come on. Oh, Connor Stallions. Um, Ohio State, I think, is still going to make the playoffs. True. Okay, true. Brian? False. I think that assuming Michigan is not punished by the Big Ten, NCAA, CFP, whatever, they're going to demolish Ohio State in the game. Uh, they're going to be the Big Ten's representative. I think Pac-12, Washington is going to be undefeated. Florida State will be undefeated. Okay. Uh, Georgia will be undefeated. And if it's not, if there is two one-win teams, one-loss teams, I think Alabama will be that second one-loss team, and Alabama yeah. will get in over Ohio State because they have totally. been awesome. Alabama has been unbelievable this season, maybe Nick Saban's best coaching job yet. I think they would get in over a one-loss Ohio State team. All right. True or false, it's a shame that Ohio State falls off the schedule because Rutgers would beat them next year. Pat, true or false? So we're going to celebrate that they're off, and then then (laughs) there you go. See, that's what I was doing there, Pat. That's what I was doing there. That's perfect. Got it. You figured it out. You saw right through my ruse. I love it. Yeah, false. Brian, go post moving police. I love it. I will say a false. I think this might have been Rutgers' best chance to beat Ohio State, maybe for quite some time. 
I don't know if they're ever going to be this down offensively. So I think you got to be glad you're not playing them again until 25, I think. Yeah, I just love I just love that we keep coming back to that Ohio State is down offensively when you saw what like Trevion Henderson could do. No, I know, yeah. It's got... like unbelievable. They, all, they only <laughs> have three first like... round players on the offense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good grief. Trevion, I might got big pick first round, but holy cow, that guy's an NFL player. I mean, both receivers are NFL player. I don't know. I mean Mar- Marvin yeah. Harrison's two touchdowns were some of the most impressive catches I've ever seen. <laughs> or Robert Longerbeam. On first down, Robert Longerbeam <laughs> makes an awesome play to take the ball out. I was like really impressed. And then Who, you by the play. way, is an NFL player. Robert Longerbeam is going to play in the NFL. Go 100%. On, no, you're fine. 100%. And then Marvin Harrison's touchdown on that third and goal was just like, nobody is stopping that play. Like, yeah. on, the, the NFL cornerbacks aren't stopping that. It's like he high points the ball, shields it with his body. Just super impressive stuff. So to your point, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I should say they don't have a superstar quarterback. They usually do, which makes a bit of a difference. I got a true oh. and false for you, Steve. Okay. Hit me. Hit me. Rutgers played well against Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh, true. Absolutely. I mean, look at the numbers. There he didn't dominate the game. He made those. Yeah. I mean, obviously he he they, you couldn't you couldn't stop him, but I would think if you saw that line before the game, you'd be like, all right, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to write that after the game, but then I was I kept coming back to the two touchdowns and like, well, he did score twice. So right. Yeah, but he yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of that's on Marvin and how much I, I didn't look at Ohio State's film to see how much of that was just on quarterback play not finding him but yeah I, well, I, totally they they covered him so McCord missed him McCord missed him wide open on one play they made sure to mention that on the CBS broadcast but mm-hmm. I thought I thought they had good coverage on him most of the game again the touchdowns I just don't know what Robert Longerbeam is supposed to do on either of them so I would yeah. I would to answer uh, to interject on this true and false I would yeah. say true yeah. yeah all right true or false the Big Ten is getting ready to drop the hammer on Harbaugh Speaking of Connor Stallions, you guys following the story? You see that there's there's some pressure on the Big Ten to do something? Will they do something? Ah, man, every day you wake up and it's something new, <laughs> new code, <laughs> it really is. new, new. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, I just I feel like the bureaucracy bureaucracy is going to get in the way. Like it's yeah. you have all the evidence already. Like what what more do you need? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say that they're not getting ready to drop the hammer. That's a false. Okay, Brian? I know the ADs and the opposing coaches want to do it. It sounds like maybe based on what Pete Thamel reported this morning, that you know in the next 48 hours there might be something, but there's also potential legal action from Michigan to fight it back, which, I mean, and then obviously you, I think you can't, the Big Ten could punish them, but I, I guess the solution is to punish Harbaugh because you're not going to get Michigan out of the college football playoff race because that doesn't benefit anybody outside of maybe oh. Ohio State. Um, I think what's going to happen is Harbaugh gets like a two-game suspension. Everyone's going to get upset about it, and then Michigan's going to win the Big Ten anyway. Uh, so to answer your question, false, they're not going to drop the hammer because the NCAA is toothless. The Big Ten is probably just as toothless, and all the outrage in the world doesn't change the fact that Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten, and it's the benefit of the entire league for them to run the run the the, the table and, and win the whole thing so you think that the so the, the three games that michigan has left obviously you know what they are you know what, you should know what two of them are <laughs> the other one's maryland so you think they're going to sit him out for penn state and maryland and then have him come back for the game or do you, i mean that's still pretty you're, that's still a significant penalty right you're going to be head coach missing a game against the ninth team the ninth ranked team of the country on the road 
Well, I would argue that they already punished Michigan enough by making them fire the mastermind of the greatest scheme in the history of college football. <laughs> nice little Friday news dump, 7 o'clock, <laughs> Dan Wetzel tweeting out that they fired Connor Stallions. Yeah. And then, and then they came back and said he resigned. I love it. No, no, he didn't He didn't get fired. He stepped aside, Connor Stallions. Massive damage control. What? Why? I, I don't know what the purpose of doing that is. Like, is that legalese? Like, who cares? He's not there anymore. Um, but yeah, that's punishment enough. Guy can't read the signs anymore. I say let him be. Okay. Yeah. Great line. Dave, Dave Biggs, uh, Briggs, a columnist in Toledo called Connor Stallions, the spy who loved M. I just thought that was very funny. Unrelated to anything. Apropos of nothing. All right. Uh, and the final one. Oh, sorry. Two more. Got two more. Rutgers, Iowa, colon, take the over. <laughs> True or false? What is it? 28 and a half? True. You, True. Taking the over. Yeah. So I think I'm it's going to be like over, 17, 14. I think if Rutgers can run the ball against Ohio State, it's going to run the ball against Iowa too and put up a put up 20. Okay. So, Woo. man, Donnybrook. Yeah. Um, all right. Brian, you taking the over 28 and a half? I think the number was really low last year in the low 30s. And then Iowa scored 27 points alone against Rutgers. And the number went easily over. But this year, this is the third time Iowa sets the record. It was 30 and a half against Minnesota. That game ended 12-10. It was 29 and a half for Iowa Northwestern. That game ended 17-10. Now we're at 28 and a half. Mm-hmm. It's close, man. I don't know. I will say out of principle, I'll take the over, but I would sweat. It's going to be a sweat the entire game. I think the only way it goes over is like a garbage time touchdown. And finally, true or false, the crowd was fantastic. So shut up, Politi. <laughs> Pat, was the crowd fantastic? True or false? True or false? True. Fantastic crowd. True? Okay. It was, yeah. Brian, true or false? Fantastic crowd. I went out uh, when they had the goal line stand where Dremel got stopped, and Mm -hmm. the entire place was just buzzing. It was was electric. It was awesome. Uh, Yes, there were a lot of Ohio State people there, probably 10 to 15, but the Rutgers people that were there represented well. They were loud. You could hear the RU chants. On the broadcast, in person, when Ohio State had a big third down, the one that Trevion Henderson eventually converted, that place was loud, man. That place was raucous. It felt like a real, actual college football atmosphere. Um, So, yeah, I thought, if not the best atmosphere in Greg Schiano 2.0, definitely top three. I think the problem here, I'm going to have to accept, and this I'm going to go around a little roundabout way of explaining this. When I was in eighth grade, my parents had to accept the fact that I'm not, Stephen is not going to be good at math. They just had to come to grips with that and plot a different course for my life. I think they figured it out. All right, well, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do here. I think I'm going to have to accept that people are just not going to get inside the stadium on time. It's just, it's just, it's just never going to happen. Just got to move on. That's just it. They're going to be there. People are going to be there late in the first quarter, going to be filled at that point for whatever. And, I, and it's funny because, and I, this is, this is how I reacted. I looked around and go, God, a lot of empty seats. And then I look at my phone at 12.02 and people watching it on TV, I must've gotten five texts. We're like, where is everybody? What's with the crowd? And it's just, you look like, all right, well, why, yeah, why are people in here? And of course, you know, I send out like a, like a little love tap on Twitter and the people, the reaction is always like, well, I mean, you should see the lines out here. I mean, oh, they don't, they don't announce the, uh, uh, I was at the tail, I mean, tailgate. They, they should put up a horn or something as, you know, like get the same, I hear the same thing from fans. You're like, I don't know, guys, you have a clock in your pocket now. Everyone's got a clock in their pocket. Right. How do these people get to work on time in the Set morning? Alarm. <laughs> you got one right there. 
I think <laughs> kickoff was technically uh, 12 oh eight on CBS. If I wasn't, uh, I think official kickoff was 12 oh eight. Whatever it was. 12.02, and then 12.10, I got the text. I don't know. But I did get several texts. I get it. It's just such a shame that people can't leave their tailgate legally until 11.45. Like, <laughs> if only people could start going into the gate at 11.30. Well, if they should open more gates. Well, that's one solution. They could open more gates or throwing it out there. You could leave 10 minutes earlier. Just saying. I get it. I know. I've given up, though. You're right. That's so. But that was the one thing I did notice, though, is that the Ohio State people, they managed to get inside on time. They were packing out the place. If you look at like 1150, there. you'd think the whole place mm-hmm. was going to be Buckeyes fans. Yeah. And then obviously the late arriving home crowd stumbled their way in, got their last tailgate beer, and uh, settled into their seats. I'm mostly just being, yeah, I'm just mostly being a jerk for being a sake of the jerk. I get it. It really was a good crowd. I say true on it. I'm shutting myself up. When the game went on, it was a electric college football atmosphere. I don't care the fact there are 15,000 Ohio State fans. That's part of it. That's okay. They travel, they go every place, um, they buy tickets. Nothing you do about that. It was a good, it was really a good atmosphere and it was fun. It was a fun day. And the fact the game was close really did make it. Oh, it was, you know, uh, in the second half of that game, you could kind of feel the energy of like, are we seeing something that would be unprecedented? So that's the way it's supposed to be. So, all right. Good job, everyone. Thanks. Uh, No, you too. You too. Thanks for participating. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. All right. Questions? Want to take some questions? Let's take some questions. we got some good questions from folks. Most of them were Gavin Wimsett related. So thank you for subscribing to nj.com slash Rutgers Insider. If you want to hear or get our text during the game, we'd love to have you. All right. This is a good question from Jeff Steer. Who will, first question, is it okay to be pissed about losing on Saturday, but also super excited? I think that's an obvious yes, totally. Uh, but the second part I like, has Chiano 2.0 become an excellent game manager, especially compared to Chiano 1.0? when he did not have a good reputation in that area? Uh, and if so, why? Sort of an interesting question, because I was I made me think back on it. Like, what was, because that was sort of like the knock on Shiano's, you wanted him as your head coach every day, but three hours on Saturday. A lot of people felt that way. Uh, don't feel that way anymore, to be really clear. And I don't know how much of that was just managing the game, fellas, or if it was just being prepared for some of those games that they lost where you felt like they should have won. Like, I don't know if it was an in-game kind of maybe halftime adjustments thing, but yeah, I think he's been really good this year. Yeah, I would agree. I don't, I'm trying to think of any major game changing, you know, clock management uh, stuff like that. Like you only really notice that stuff when it doesn't work. I know in the Michigan state game, the decision that comes to mind, obviously he made them re-kick that punt that ended up being the muff punt that started the 18 point comeback. That's a good decision in hindsight because it worked. Again, like Greg says, like these decisions, if they work, you're a genius. If they don't work, you're not. 
I think maybe he's had the fortune of a lot of these working out the right way this time around versus others. I can't speak to the first time. I didn't pay close attention to Greg Schiano 1.0, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head in the last two seasons where he made a decision or the staff made a decision where I'm scratching my head like this is clearly the wrong decision. So I guess to that point, it's a good credit to them. Pat, you agree? Yeah, I just remember it just came to me. Uh, last year at Michigan State, he mismanaged the clock right before the half, right before halftime. Oh, that's right. That is true. Good uh, one. Yeah, but even still, like they lost the game. Let's be clear. Uh, was it because he mismanaged the clock before halftime? Probably not. Uh, there were, you know, some other things that went wrong in that game, but uh, that's the one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I this is a very timely topic because he did manage everything very well against Ohio State. I thought and he was playing it safe with the field goals. And uh, I don't, I didn't want to, I don't want to knock him for that. I thought he, those were all the right decisions. So. Okay. Here's another one uh, that's come up a bunch. Does this feel like 2005 all over again, setting up for an even more successful following year? And you guys obviously know that the 2005 season was the breakthrough the insight bowl um, that kind of put the the foundation of that team was the team that did all the great things in 2006. Um, That's a great observation. And someone pointed out even that, you know, and I remember that scene. They they went to Mike Teal in a backup role, replaced Ryan Hart, then went back to Ryan Hart when Teal kind of struggled. So some people say, well, hey, maybe this is also you put Gavin Wimsett as the Mike Teal in this story. That's, you know, that's an interesting way of looking at it as well, that he could be taking a step next year. Um, you guys buying that, that this is the this is the year before the year? It really works out as far as a narrative. Right. I think even the guys I talked to last week, the Brian Leonard's and Ray Rice's certainly agree with that. I think it depends a lot on who comes back next year. No. How no. how many people of the defense, because there are a lot of guys on defense that have decisions to make. Tyron Powell, Mo Teray, Aaron Lewis, Max Melton, Robert Longerbeam, like a lot of swing decisions there that if a lot of them come back, you're gonna have a top three defense in the Big Ten. If a lot of them don't come back, you have a lot of holes to fill. Um, I think offensively, you should be okay. Gavin coming back, Manungai, if he comes back, that he'll be have a tough decision because his stock is going to be the highest it's ever been. Yeah. So he, if he comes back, if Sam Brown should be back to 100%, uh, that's, that's a big addition. Uh, most of the offensive line, you know, like you get maybe a guy out of the portal at tight end, at wide receiver. Um, but to answer the question, I think the pieces are in place. The foundation is there and the schedule kind of works out. For a breakout year next year, I think it's too early to tell because a lot of major decisions need to be made. Joe Harris Simeon going to be back for a third year. Like he's going to be a hot name in the coaching market. Like a lot of things have to kind of work out, but I do think that there is certainly a chance. The interesting part about this, Pat, is it, it, it does. A lot of these decisions could be swayed by money now. Like that was, I mean, this yeah. is not like, this is an NIL thing. And some of these guys, like, I think if you're stock and you're going to get drafted, like, I, mean, I don't know, I've not looked at deep mock drafts, but a couple of those cornerbacks, Flip Dixon's, I think that's another name. Sure. Like you, these guys are like, all right, well, what what is their stock going to be? If you're going to be in the top, even a second day draft pick at this point, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. go. But oh, yeah. guy, like, that's a fascinating one because my, my, my answer would be, well, he's, his stock's never going to be this high. But all of a sudden you're like, all right, well, if someone can, if someone can pay him, you know, of course, of course. Yeah. But then, but then where do you put the resources? It's really a fascinating question. Yeah. 
it's the old uh, college salary cap, right? Like, how do you yeah. how do you distribute the money? And that it's fascinating. Um, I just feel like Manungai specifically is like a more of a product of the system. Uh, and is, is that is that harsh? I, I don't think I've kind of come around the other way. I think he's by far the best running back, and he's he, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I I get it. He's it, in in the in the world of football now. Running backs are more replaceable than certainly a Robert Longerbeam or or an Aaron Lewis. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just think uh, I could see Manungai coming back for another year, just because he just seems like uh, I. I don't want to say <laughs> anything. I don't want to say it because in hindsight, he goes to the NFL and I look like an idiot, but he just seems like a Rutgers guy that wants to win and, and like understands the big picture that like one breakout year could change his life, of course, but it could also change this program too. Mm-hmm. So, Yep. And it's not just the NFL that Rutgers is competing with, with the NIL. Uh, they've got to be worried now. And this is, I think, the, by far the biggest worry in the program. That does not yeah. even does not even number two is that they're going to be really good. They will have this backbone, like a foundation of a good team, and they're going to just going to poach the poachers who haven't come the last couple of off seasons for a combination of both some injury problems and the fact the team hadn't been all that good. I think that's going to be now. It's going to be ripe for the picking for some of these teams. So. If you didn't see that, the QR code that the Knights of the Raritan put up on the scoreboard, now might be a time to open the checkbook, folks. Uh, all right. Good question, though. All right. So let's see what else we got here. If when, when Rutgers, this is from Rocco, when Rutgers beats Iowa this week, will that be significant enough to say the program is finally turning the corner? I think we've talked about this, guys. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> that they will beat Iowa, Steve. Are you jumping on the record, too? Uh, I've got, I've got, um, if, if I say that, then Pat, why would anybody listen to our second podcast yeah. this week other than my witty repertoire with, with uh, Brian about Iowa alums? That's true. That's yeah. a great point. That's a great point. I know Rocco will be tuning in, of course, for the Boomer Zoomer segment. He loves that. If they beat Iowa, if it fills the need for a signature win, they'd win a huge game on the road, probably their biggest road win as a big 10 member, they would beat a team with a winning record. I was guaranteed to have a winning record this year, something they have never done against the big 10 team since joining the conference. They would almost certainly get votes, maybe get ranked, maybe snap that streak, which again mm-hmm. is, is the longest among power five teams. And it's a big deal to snap that. I mean, AP polls are worth what they're worth, but ha- that hanging over your head, it's, it's worth ending that. So I think, there's a lot to gain, and I think that that would stamp the season like resounding success even further. I think it would, to our discussion earlier, solidify how good of a season is, and Rutgers would capture, take advantage of how good of a team they have this year. So I think certainly um big opportunity this week. I'm going to weed through the uh, 83 Wimsett-related questions as best I can. I think that the answer to all of the questions about is there some way to improve his accuracy right now is no. <laughs> like there's no quarterback whisperer. There's no special sauce. There's no magic. There's no system they haven't tried. So we're just going to go through all those. Um, but there's a lot of questions. This is this is a good one. Do you think Gavin Wimsett will be the quarterback at the start of next season? Where do you stand on that one? Pat? Yeah, I, I think absolutely he will be. Uh, I know we're very critical of his – faults 
But just think about how much this offense has improved just because of its running ability. And of course, like that's not because of Gavin, but his ability with his legs and just the way that he has protected the ball in the bigger sense of it has has brought this offense from one of the worst in the country to somewhere, you know, 50 to 70 ranked. So I think that that is a step in the right direction. And if you look at it in the big picture and not the micro level that you'll see that, like, you just got to trust him to take another step next year. Brian, you agree? I think he's taking evident strides this year. He's running the ball well. He's probably going to finish the year with a positive touchdown to interception ratio, which was not a given entering the season. I think it's, yes, three back-breaking pick sixes, two interceptions against Michigan State, but he's had full games without throwing a pick-worthy pass, which, again, progress. The one hurdle to go over here is obviously the accuracy. There are differing opinions on whether that could ever be fixed or if that's just an issue that will last. To answer the question, I think, yes, Gavin Wimsett will be the day one starter next year. I think he's earned that this year. I think that A.J. Serres, the four-star quarterback coming in, is not going to be ready to compete for a starting job in college. I think that's just a huge ask for any kid. And I don't think Rutgers is going to be able to get a graduate transfer quarterback, even if they wanted to. Uh, I think they look at how graduate, graduate transfer quarterbacks have done this year and see that while some have been successful, a majority of them have been flops. And to take that risk when you already have a quarterback you feel comfortable with, because I think Rutgers does feel good about where, where Gavin Wimsett is, accuracy issues included, right? I think, again, he's taking a leap forward. They feel good about where he is. So I think I think I'd be pretty surprised, barring you know injury or transfer or something unforeseen, if Gavin Wimsett was not the starting quarterback for Rutgers against Howard on August thirty first. Right, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, I would agree with you mostly, but I think I'm going to put it at like eighty five percent. And let me give you the the, the breakdown. The there's a five percent chance that that someone around Gavin Wimsett, it's twenty twenty three. People move around all the time. That some something happens where he's in the portal unrelated to whatever work. It, it just happens. I mean, Paul Mulcahy went to the portal, right? There, there's just, you just got to assume that there's a chance of that. That's 5%. The other 5% is that something happens in these next three games where it is just to the point where Greg Shanna says, you know what? We've watched him now for two years. This program is ready to take the next step and he's not. That's not real. We will never know that. Like he is never going to, he's never going to come out and say, ah, we moved on from him. But, but something within, I think they've invested too much in him for that to happen, but there's a 5% chance that happened. The other 5% chance, as you mentioned, AJ Cerise, they love him. They love this kid. They cannot stop raving about him. I'm not one of the, I'm not going to be, since we've done this so many times, I'm just not ready to anoint the next 18 year old as the court. We've done it a million times. I get it. But he does seem to be a special different level high school recruit coach's son. Uh, I, I think a lot of people think he gets here in January. A lot of people think he's going to be ready. So if they get through camp and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I, I'm just saying that there's a fight there. So I'm putting a 15% chance at that. He's not the starter. Fair. I just I just want to say on the AJ Serres thing, remember how everyone felt about Gavin Wimsett, another four-star oh, quarterback, when he showed up. Even after that debut where he has that awesome pass against Illinois, remember the first few appearances, remember the first few games of last year, remember feeling like, hey, he's only 18, hey, he's only 19, hey, he's only 20. 
And right. he's had two and a half seasons in the program and people are already ready to move on. I'm just saying, remember that context when you think about AJ Cerise coming in as an 18-year-old kid. I get it. We're not, okay, well, we're not talking about, we're not doing this because AJ Cerise is so great. We're doing it because of what Kevin Wimsett has shown us. That's the difference, right? Understood, but again. And we did the same thing again, but that's why we were excited about Gavin Wimsett. Like, well, he can't be any worse than what they had a quarterback at the time. Noah like, Pedro, yes. Yeah, again, yeah, again, again. It can. He can be. He can be worse. He can be right. I'm just saying that that's why we're asking this question. We're not asking, but like, if in normal circumstances, it'd be like, oh, let's settle this. Sir Asian Richard, of course he should. He should be the starter in 2026 in a normal world, but we're not there. That's all. Understood. I'm just saying, before we even delve into that, not even us, the fans, I think, are going to be having this debate for the next 12 months. When you guys are having this argument in the message boards and on your text threads and on Twitter and in my mentions, just know... Just remember what Gavin Wimsett looked like in his first year. This is not against Gavin Wimsett. It's to say that it's really, really hard to be a starting quarterback in the Big Ten when you're 18, 19 years old, fresh off of high school. When you're, you're not playing whoever Notre Dame plays, right? Whatever West Jersey schedule they play, you're playing the big boys. It's hard to do that off of one spring camp, one training camp. I'm just saying, everybody, please temper your expectations and look at the big picture. There you go. Good job. For All the right. record, Notre Dame lost in the first round of the playoffs. No, did they really? What happened? To Paul the sixth. Wow, is that a big upset? Of course it That's was. That's a big upset. And yeah. everyone was looking ahead because uh Notre Dame was gonna play Burden Catholic. So that was the, the big Ooh. matchup in the next round, and then they got knocked out in the first round. Mm. So it's so. a shame. I would have loved to see that matchup just to see how AJ and Gabe Winovich match up yeah. against those. Because I mean, have you do you know their schedule by any chance, Pat? Like, have they played anybody that's? It's it's pretty it's pretty weak. They played St. Francis and beat St. Francis, the that powerhouse in Maryland. But I don't think it's the same St. Francis that was, uh, you know, turning out. They, they have a beat. That was on the like, HBO documentary yeah. St. Yeah. Francis. Like that program's kind of falling apart. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's certain they put up huge numbers. Uh, Notre Dame and and AJ Sarace played great. So, mm-hmm. but just. Just for the record. All right. Thanks for the questions. We've got too many that we possibly get to. We're already an hour into this, but I appreciate it. Uh, all right. What else? I, you know what? I noticed this is a what else? 7,000 people went to a Rutgers volleyball game? What? That's insane. That just well, popped across. How about that's a that? Lot of people. How about that? I mean, that's, I, I you know, I talk about things that I get it in Nebraska. This is the best team in the country. They got 90,000 people for a game. So I assume some do Nebraska fans travel though. It's a long way away. I mean, I guess they're Nebraska people who live here or is it all Rutgers? What happened? Does anybody know? So they had 6,757 people. That is four times the previous record of 1,907 people for a Rutgers game, which was set two years ago against Nebraska at Jersey Mike's. So Nebraska is the common denominator here. Nebraska is number one in the country. They're undefeated. This is maybe the best college volleyball program or team in the past decade. What I think happened is a majority of the player of the of the attendees were local volleyball players, parents, fans, coaches who showed up to watch a rare opportunity to see the number one team in the country, like one of the, like a generational kind of team. And uh, I think there's some intrigue for Rutgers, obviously, um, but I do think that this is much like the Caitlin Clark effect for basketball the Nebraska volleyball effect at Jersey Mike's arena, but still very cool to see 
Jersey Mike's Arena packed out for a volleyball game. It's great. Somebody in the Rutgers marketing marketing department had to do a good job with this. I, I'm just I don't know who you are, but take a bow, whoever you are, for that crowd. That's not just word of mouth. That had to be some 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 happened there too as well. So good job. Field hockey news. I saw they got the did they get jobbed? I mean, I, I having to play in Chapel Hill against. I assume. A very good Ivy League champion team, Pat. I mean, that's just my assumption. If you win the Ivy League, Ivy League's good at field hockey. They're good at field hockey. Playing Harvard, yeah, it's a tough a bad, draw. Is that a tough draw? I think it's a tough draw, but I think they should still win that game. From uh, word around the house, uh, anytime uh, someone's playing Harvard, this household roots for that team to beat Harvard. Obviously, with our Princeton connection, mm-hmm. um, so. Yeah, I think uh, I think it should be a winnable game, and then that would set them up for North Carolina, the number one overall Carolina? seed at Chapel Hill. Yeah, oh, but there was some there was some there was some talk that Northwestern should have been the number one overall seed. I've noticed this. Look at this. Look at this talking. We know we're talking about. I feel like it now. Harvard won the Ivy League over the Fighting Candice Lannies, by the way, both yeah, the yeah. league and the inaugural Ivy League tournament for the first yeah, time they had a tournament. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There you um, go. But yeah, that game is at two thirty on Friday in Chapel okay. Hill. If they road win. trip, let's do it. Load up the van. Oh, that's right. We got football game. Yeah, never mind. Okay, we can't go there. Well, I'll go if you take me around the old spots in Chapel Hill where oh, Steve uh, Politi was going wild as a twenty twenty one year old student. Yeah, some of them are still open. Believe it or not. Yeah, a couple of them. Anything else? Tell us about wrestling pack. Yeah, uh, just took care of business. Really, that's it's the only way to put it. Uh, just completely dominated Duke, didn't even give up a point, and then uh, handled business against Cal Poly. Some younger guys got in the lineup. Uh, it's good win. Uh, what, did what did what was expected. So it'll set up nicely for the home opener against Virginia Tech, which is going to be an awesome environment at Jersey Mike's Arena. And they did have a, a couple guys wrestle unattached at this Princeton tournament uh, yesterday too. So um, just a little note there. Anybody have a good performance there? Joey Oliveri is going to be redshirting this year. It, that, that's a, that's a thing, but he was third and um, a freshman was fourth Dylan Packer. So is this was, another uh, scenario, Pat, where they had, where they have three, the, their best three wrestlers at the same weight class. You're not going to tell me that this. No, is no, 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 no. Okay. Everything is, right. everything is much better this, this year. Sure. The okay. is, is really, really nice. lineup. Right. I don't want to hear that yeah. again. Cause that yeah. just, that, that hurt my brain last uh, year, <laughs> yeah. talking about that. All right. And I think I see how it played out. I mean, they didn't have a great year last year, but mm-hmm. this year they should they should be much better. Last thing, women's soccer NCAA tournament selection show today at four o'clock. By the time the listeners get this show, it's probably already happened. Uh, Chris Henderson, the bracketology expert of women's soccer. He has Rutgers getting in with an at-large bid. He projects them to play Princeton in State College. Um, hmm. what, I, I can't verify his accuracy in past years, I can't say I've dove in, dove in deep into it, but this is the guy that's most trusted in the women's soccer space. I've seen some pessimistic fans think they're not going to get an at-large bid, but if Chris Henderson says they're going to get in, I t- to think they'll get in, and that would mark 12 consecutive trips to the NCAA tournament and uh, the continuation of you know good work from Mike O'Neill on that program. So once you're in the tournament, anything could happen. As bad as they've been this season, you get in, anything could happen. Anything can happen, absolutely. Basketball tonight. Princeton, we won't talk much about it because we'll be there and the game will be over by the time you listen to this, but we'll be back. We'll certainly will recap that on uh, the later in the week at the podcast. Fellas, I think that's it. Anything else? No? 
let's sign off then. Thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, later in the week to make our picks for Iowa. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.